That was enthusiastic. Thank you. Wow. It's good to see you too. <laughs> um, I am excited to be here. I don't even know what that was. Um, Paul Pano's here. I'm excited about that. I love you, Paul, wherever you are. Um, hey, so um, we're going to go right to the text, get down to business. Psalm 23, we already read, is a bit of a backdrop. That's also a lectionary text for this week, which reminded us in um, beautiful terms, one of the great psalms, of course, of the church, uh, how God cares for us as our shepherd. And with that in view, would you stand with me now for the reading from the Gospels? And going to uh, Luke chapter 10, beginning verse 22. Oh, or John. That's uh, by Luke, I meant John. <laughs> At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. And I want you especially to hear this phrase. My sheep hear my voice. Get that just one more time. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Lord of the church, you are our good shepherd. It is your church and not ours. You are the one that we love. You are the one that we submit to and delight in. We've come to hear your voice this morning. We do want to be your sheep. We do want to be the sheep of your pasture. We want to learn how to listen. But Lord, you, you know just how many things are going on even in this moment inside of our heads and inside of our hearts that would crowd out your sweet voice. There are voices from the adversary. There are voices from um, authority figures who have heard us. There's our own voice. There are voices of condemnation and criticism. There's just so much noise, so many voices from culture. God, that you would give us the grace this morning to quiet our hearts and to listen to you in this consecrated space. But more than that, you would just teach us how to, how to hear and how to listen to you in general, how to be attuned to your voice, how to recognize you. Give us the grace now, the eyes and the ears, to be able to hear and to see what you would reveal to us by your Spirit. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. In terms of cultural context, I'm not nearly as familiar with sheep in real life as I am with dogs. I am a dog person, not in like the healthy, normal, functional way, but like in the irrational, like love dogs more than other people, <laughs> that, that sort of way. I never had a dog growing up. My dad was in full-time ministry and traveled a lot, spoke somewhere different most Sundays, so we never were able to have a dog. So I've only had two in my life, my beloved one that I miss every day back in North Carolina, and my dog uh, here, Stella, that I've had. She's about a year old, and I just, I do, I just love dogs. Where well, I realized that this was perhaps a bit of a problem, this is really how this hit me, is that 
I noted that when I was watching television, and you'd have the commercials like for some kind of world relief organization caring for starving kids, I would be moved. I would be moved deeply. I would even give. But then you'd have the commercial that, like with the Sarah McLaughlin song, <laughs> for the animal rescue shelter, and I would get in the corner and weep. <laughs> and it would be like, oh, we need to help the children. And then, somebody has to do something about these dogs. <laughs> I go to PetSmart on Saturday, and they have the dogs, man. I just, like, I want to take all of them home. I mean, I, have to, I can't go to PetSmart on Saturday now because I know that they do the pet adoption thing. And I am too prone. So, yeah, so it's like I do love dogs more than I love people. I, I realize this, too, when I'm watching movies because, like, when the bad guy threatens the hero's family, I'm like, oh, that's awful. You shouldn't threaten kids. But if they do something to the dog, like the bad guy kills them, I'm like, no one should, no one should ever do that, even in fiction. That is not okay. <laughs> like, what is that, right? I know that some of your parents are, like, really horrified right now. I, I would feel the same way if it were my kids. But I'm just saying, like, it's the end of the world. You've got a rocket ship and a handful of seats. Your dog versus someone else's kid. Am I right? <laughs> you bring the dog, people. <laughs> you bring the dog. I'm just saying. So again, I know it's not altogether healthy. I talk to my dog a lot about all kinds of things. About, you know, just life. Uh, I, I talk to <laughs> about... D- difficult life things. I talked to Pastor Brent and my dog, and <laughs> and uh, she listens. Sometimes I feel like she understands. Sometimes she doesn't. I know that. Like I'm, I am actually going somewhere with this. They say that dogs can have a, a pretty big vocabulary, right? Like I think they can come to understand a good like 500 words or so, which I think is pretty impressive. But I'm thinking, even if a dog understands 500 words on the high end, like that means they're missing most of the conversation. <laughs> Most things I'm saying, there, there's, a, there's a handful of key words. Treat, good girl, a couple things. Like the dog knows what it means, like latches on to that. And as funny as all that sounds, I honestly think that this is somehow analogous to exactly how I listen to God. Because I think our God is a communicative God. He's always communicating through the cosmos in all sorts of ways, through scripture, through experience, through the people around us. Like God is speaking through the creation. There's so many ways that God is speaking. And I'm convinced that it's never a matter of like, God's never short on words. God's communicating all the time. God's talking all the time. But at best, even when I'm walking in good discernment, I'm picking out a handful of words. Oh, oh, okay, I, I, I recognize that. That sounds, so, so here's what I really want to do with this, with this sermon. And I feel like this is maybe the simplest sermon I've ever preached. And yet somehow, it feels like stuff I, I, I've, I've always needed to hear, but it's taken me a long time to, to learn, but never had it framed quite this way. I don't want to talk so much today about the mediums through which God speaks. Because especially if you've been around the church for any amount of time, some of that's kind of established. You know, God speaks through Scripture, right? God speaks through the church. God speaks through, by His Spirit, through other people around us who are following Jesus, right? So we know that God, uh, God speaks in the interior voice. I really believe that, even though that gets complicated and messy. I do believe we're supposed to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit in this deep interior way. But I think then what becomes so challenging is that we end up spending like this enormous proportion, this huge chunk of our lives, trying to discern between these voices. How do you know the voice of the Lord 
apart from the voice of the accuser or the adversary? How do you know the voice of God apart from your own inner voices? That's just you, just what's going on in your head. How do we discern the voice of God apart from all the different voices around us that compete for our attention? For me, what's become key in all this in terms of how I discern God, going back to the dog analogy, knowing that often I'm just really understanding a handful of words, especially given the, the infinite nature of God and the very finite, limited nature of my own understanding. Part of how I think we can learn to discern the voice of God is to, is, is to learn the tone of God's voice. I know that this might sound a little strange, but the sound of God's voice, what God sounds like. Footnote, by the way, about dogs that I always think is funny is that since their dogs are way more attuned to the tone of your voice, anything you actually say. And if you want to experiment with this, come and today, later, like talk to your dog in a really warm tone and say awful things. I could come back and get, Stella, oh, you're like Hitler. I hate you. I hate you, hate you, hate you. I hate you. You're disgusting. Oh, you're so awful. Oh, you know, like she, and she's just, she's just going to be like, dad. She'll just be, she'll, her, she'll wag her tail. She'll be excited. Because she recognizes my tone of voice, and that matters to her. She reads the tone so much more than she does the actual words. She, she hears the spirit of the words. So no matter what I said, even if I did that, she, yeah, she doesn't have the cognitive abilities, I'm assuming, to know that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm playing in that way. Like, she's not even paying attention to that. She just knows that the tone is warm, that I mean her no harm, right? And I, there's something about then coming to discern, coming to hear the, the tone, the sound of God's voice. One of the people, I have a number of, of people in my life that I look to as fathers and mothers in the faith, and I would say the person who most shaped my, my own understanding of hearing God uh, is a man named Dr. Ricky Moore. He was my Old Testament professor at the Pentecostal Theological Seminary. Now he's the chair of the theology department at Lee University. Beautiful, beautiful man who is uh, not only an Old Testament scholar, but honestly, it's like he's so immersed his whole life in the text of the prophets in particular that he, he is a prophet. He operates in a very deeply prophetic way. Uh, fatherly, gentle, but whenever I hear Dr. Moore speak, there's always something about it that just, that just is so other, that is so different, something that always just sounds like the Lord. And in that spirit, I have all these great stories about Dr. Moore that are like fascinating and quirky, could regale you for days. This really isn't one of them. This is very simple, but this is something that stood out for so long. I remember once, I was trying to tell Dr. Moore about something that I was discerning. I thought the Holy Spirit was saying to me. And I remember Dr. Moore saying, laughing, and he said, huh, that sounds like something he would say. And something about that phrase just stuck with me. That sounds like something he would say. <laughs> I, I know that I'm always going to be in an ongoing process of discernment. All of us are. But I think if we can at least have some basic handles so that we know what his voice sounds like, so that we're able to be the kids. Well, okay, I may not know for sure. Uh, in the book of Acts, I love it when they make, you know, there's a passage where the early church is making a decision. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, which, by the way, is about as good as it ever gets in discerning the voice of God. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. You know how, like, preachers in a very demonstrative way will say, like, God told me this, God told me that, and, you know, everything super, sounds super clear. God told me we're supposed to build a new $8 million family life center. God told me this. God told me that. We, we, you know, we throw that around very casually. Let me translate for you what anybody means when they say God told me. When they say God told me, what they actually mean is, 
I am roughly 53% sure that I've heard from God. That's what they really mean. That's not what they're saying, but that's what they really mean. Because there's just enough ambiguity in, in how we receive whatever we're, we very rarely know for sure. You know that, right? So even if, and this is good. It makes us humble. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We're doing the best we can to discern. So all of that given, I want to just give you, and this is not my normal way of doing things. Um, my folks here who are more linear, maybe this is, will be a real like pleasant break for you. Just, just a couple sentences, really, a couple statements, just really basic movements that for me, are, I, I think, are basic handles on how to discern God's voice, uh, what God's voice sound like. And the first one's simply this, and again, very simply, very simple statements. The voice of the Lord is tender. The voice of the Lord is tender. That, for me, is one of the most defining characteristics of the voice of God, it is, is the tenderness of it. Um, God is gentle. God is often gentle, but though maybe not always gentle. <laughs> there's the still small voice, but there's the rushing mighty wind. But there is, there is something about the, the heart of God and the voice of God that I do find to always be tender. Some of that makes sense even based on what we read in the 23rd Psalm. If he's the one who leads us beside still waters, if he's the one who cares for us, who watches out for us, it would make sense in the way that he speaks to us would be tender, would be, would be fatherly in some ways. Another, uh, another time I remember hearing someone else ask Dr. Moore, how do you know the voice of God apart from the other voices? Like, how do you discern the voice of God for yourself? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I know the voice of God because it's the voice that always breaks my heart. Never forgot about that. It always breaks my heart. But I think even in that is not a harshness, but just this idea that what God often says goes crossways against our own heart in a way that lands like, ooh, it hits in a tender spot. It goes past all of our ego defenses. It goes past all the surface things. Hits you right here. Hits you in the sensitive places. Not in a way that exploits, not in a way that harms. In fact, that'd be a good footnote to this whole point, if you want to call it that. God never, the, the voices inside your head that are, that are full of condemnation, that is never the voice of the Lord. God does not ever speak to his children in a condemning way. We know this because of Jesus, who says that he hasn't come to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. God does not speak with the voice of condemnation. God never shames anybody. God will never speak to you in a way that shames you. Here's an appointment, kind of an important addendum to that. God never speaks to you about someone else in a way that shames them. Yes? God's not in the shaming business. It's just not what he does. God will speak to you in a way that will expose your heart. God will speak to you in a way that will expose uncomfortable things. But God only exposes things for the sake of bringing healing and wholeness. That's all. God exposes things that need to be exposed so that they can be brought out in the light so that they can be healed. He never exploits. He never condemns. He never harms. He never makes fun. He doesn't taunt. That is just not the voice of God. But that's not to say that the voice of God can't land in a heavy way. Heavy but light. It's so hard to try to describe the voice of God in this way. It's heavy but light. Because you can be terribly convicted. And I find at least like when I feel like God shows me something that I didn't see before, then there's often a moment where I think, oh my goodness, how did I not see that before? Like I feel kind of ridiculous. But not because God's making me feel ridiculous. And that's what's so interesting about the voice of God <laughs> is that he can show me something, prick my heart in a deep way, and yet at the same time, he's, it's clear he's not trying to destroy me. 
It's clear that he's not trying to decimate me, you know? There's a healthy kind of humility in that. Uh, of course, Chris Green, again, is my, my best friend, and he tells a story that I love. I've thought about this so often. Uh, they're a little boy club. I think this was when he was about six, where Chris tells about how he was working on his computer, and Clive came in and kept wanting to play, kept trying to distract him, you know, and he said that uh, because he was trying to get work done, he finally spoke to Clive in a way that, that, was, that was really pretty harsh, which is very unlike Chris, and he immediately felt bad. So he says to Clive, Clive, I'm so sorry. I, I know that probably sounded mean. I, did, I, I didn't mean to be mean. And, and, and Clive's response, I never forget this. It's so great. Clive says, keep in mind he's like six, that's okay, Dad. You've been my dad for a long time. You've been my dad for a long time. And I know that you love me. I know that you care about me. What you said sounded mean, but I know that's not what you really meant. And Chris, Chris is kind of, like, on the one hand, that's heartbreaking, right? Like, oh. And yet not destructive. Because interesting enough, even though there's kind of a, there's a kind of correction in that, <laughs> sounded mean, but I know who you really are. <laughs> that, 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 that is affirming, that, that speaks to the good. I think that's so true about the way that Jesus always speaks to people, is that he speaks to their potential, he speaks to what they can yet become, he speaks to the good inside of them. There's something, there, that's something about just the tenderness of the heart of Jesus. So it's, only, it, it's so like the Lord then, to have this precise, surgeon-like way of being able to, to do work in us that might be really uncomfortable and might, yes, kind of exposing in some ways, and yet to do in a way where there's no shame, there's no condemnation. When you hear that voice, when you're reading a text and you feel that kind of tenderness, when you're having a conversation with a, with a spiritual friend and you feel the tenderness in your own prayer time or just when you feel like there, there's something that God starts to bring to your attention and you feel that tender kind of ache that it's going across your heart just a little bit and it's, it, it pricks a bit and yet there's a kind of tenderness to it, friends, more often than not, that, that's God. That's the voice of the Lord. Recognize the tone. Discern, the to- discern his heart. This is how the voice, this is what the voice of God sounds like. Is that making any kind of sense at all? Yeah, four of you think so. That's awesome. Great. The second statement that for me has become really key, actually. The, the voice of the Lord is playful. The voice of the Lord is playful. No, really. The voice of God is really, really playful. This bears out throughout all of Scripture. And I think once you kind of get that in your head, you start interpreting passages in a very different way when you see the playfulness of God in the Old and New Testament. I find this a lot in the Old Testament, actually. Um, these passages that I think kind of a surface reading people will read as being harsh. People will read as being um, really angry. But I think oftentimes that, that if you read this sort of play in them, one of my favorite examples of this comes in the book of Job. I love the book of Job personally. It's an odd book, but one that I really adore. And of course, Job doesn't have a lot of God talking. You've got a lot of Job talking and Job's friends talking. It's not till towards the end of the book, about the last three or four chapters, where God speaks. And of course, all this is, is in the form of poetry. But when God responds to Job, let's go to that text, can we, from Job 38? Uh, just, just a taste of this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. <laughs> 
I will question you, and you shall declare to me. Does that make you like, man, the idea of God speaking to me and saying, gird up your loins like a man? Wow. Pull up your britches, son. You said you want to talk? Okay. You got questions for me? I got some questions for you, right? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. You're the smart guy, Job. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. See, that can, you can read that and almost, it sounds super aggressive. But here's the thing you've got to keep in mind. God really likes Job. Pay attention to the people in the Old Testament that God likes. I know God loves everybody, right? I'm talking about the people that God especially likes. There's something so Jewish about Job. You get the same thing in Moses that talks back, that contests with God, that wrestles with God, that, that kind of wants to go back and forth with God. I don't know if you notice it. God likes those kinds of people. One of the key differences between Job and Job's friends is that Job's friends are always giving all this theology about God. They're always talking about God. Job is the one who talks to God. And in the end, even where Job gets some gentle rebuke, because God wants to say, like, okay, some of your ideas about me are wrong, don't forget at the end of the day he vindicates Job and says, you have spoken rightly concerning me. <laughs> how, is that, how is that possible that some of his ideas about God were wrong but that he spoke rightly concerning the Lord. Because even when he had a kind of accusation, that was all in the context of a, of a loving relationship with his father. And God, again, that's, a, that's just that very Hebrew thing. that you, know, you get that in Moses too. God likes it that Moses is the sort of person that when God says, okay, I'm done, I'm going to wipe everybody out, says, don't wipe everybody out. That will stand toe to toe in that way. This is what God wants. God wants that kind of rapport. God wants that kind of relationship. And the, more, the point in this context is the more you get to know how God operates in that way, the more you can come to identify a lot of that is the playfulness of God drawing you out. Okay, so, it, it, so let me ask you some questions, big man, since you know all the answers. There's a kind of play in that. Um, if, if you're not convinced about this, let me um, conclude the case for you in one word, friends. Jesus. If you have any question about whether or not God is playful, behold Jesus. Because Jesus is playful all the time. Man, if you don't get that, there's so much you don't get about those texts. Because Jesus is always playful. There's this way that Jesus so often speaks, and you can, you, you can almost you can hear the sound of it. You can discern the tone of it between the words. There's a twinkle in his eye. You know what I'm talking about? You don't see that in the text, but you can hear it, the twinkle in his eye. There's a kind of divine mischief happening, a way that Jesus seems to really enjoy. My, one of my favorite examples of this uh, comes from the book of Luke. I love this text. I just think there, there are so many examples I go to, but this is my favorite. Luke 24, my favorite post-resurrection appearance of Jesus story. Now, on that same day, two of them, two disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all these things that had happened, the death of Jesus, the torture of Jesus. While they were talking and discussing, now think, really think about this. Hear this text if you've never heard it before. Jesus himself came near and went with them. Now this is getting interesting. They're having a conversation about Jesus, uh, the way he was 
tortured, crucified, murdered. And while they're discussing this, Jesus himself comes along. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you're walking along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? Don't you watch the news? Do you ever check Facebook? Have you not heard? And then in what might be the funniest verse to me in all the Bible, two words, he asked them, What things? You honestly don't think that's intended to be funny. What things? Three days ago, he was the one tortured and crucified, who then descended into hell, took captivity captive, all of that. What things? So, stuff happened? I have no idea. You'll ha- let me know. <laughs> Fill me in, please. They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Now, and here's the next part of the play for me. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead, note the phrase, as if he were going on. As if. What does that tell you? He didn't actually intend to go on. He wasn't planning to go on. He pretended as if he was. He acted as if he was. Oh, so he drops all this revelation on them? Okay, well, cool. Thanks, guys. See you later. Take care. I'm out. (laughs) Got to be at work early. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus, you want to stay? Oh, you, you want me to stay? How do you account for the as if, if there's not a kind of playfulness to this? Jesus acts like he's going on when he has no intention of going on. They urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and vanished from their sight. Now, there's so many beautiful things we can say about this text. I like to talk about how we can always recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread and all that. I want to make a much more basic point right now. Jesus punked the disciples. (laughs) The moment their eyes were open, you really don't think Jesus is having a good time here? Clearly, he's enjoying himself. What things? Pretending as if he's going on when he's not, when, as soon as they recognize him, he disappears. Oh, something so playful about how God relates to his children. And that has become, for me, at least one of the markers 
of how I recognize how, that it's God that's speaking to me, that there's a playfulness to it. Because the one who created all things and sustains all things by his love, remarkably, does not take me too seriously. He loves me with an everlasting love. Does it take me too seriously? And strangely enough, I don't even know how to explain this right now. There's a way in which God doesn't even seem to take God's self too seriously. Here's another sermon for another time, but here's my teaser. I really believe that the main thing that preoccupies God's mind, the main thing that he thinks about, is not concerned about how you think about God, one way or the other. The God who exists as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who exists as self-giving love, he loves his kids. And I don't think he's nearly as uptight as we always think he is about what he thinks about what we're thinking about him. This sounds so sacrilegious, but I can't help but think about the scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail <laughs> where the voice of God appears. <laughs> you remember that, that whole bit? Like, I get so tired of all these sniveling psalms. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me of that. You know, just kind of. I do think there are sometimes the Lord is kind of like, okay, you take yourself a little too seriously. I mean, I, I, honestly, do you understand that probably 90% of my prayer life has been me asking for forgiveness, trying to make sure I covered all the bases? I can, I can spend an hour asking God for forgiveness so that then by the time the prayer time is over, I got to go. And I know that the Lord's got to be like, okay, well, thanks, son, for dropping by and telling me all about your sin. You know, I'd love to hang out with you, but you act like I don't know. You hear what I'm saying? Don't walk over in the sermon saying, Pastor John taught us not to confess our sins. <laughs> of course, all that's very important. But do you hear my heart here? I rather sometimes the Lord wants to say, okay, yeah, yeah, I know all that. Forgiveness is granted. Now let me be with you. Let me talk to you. Let me hang out with you. This is what God wants. The playfulness of God. That, for me, is part of how I understand that wonderful story in Genesis where Jacob wrestles with the angel all night. Interestingly enough, how the text kind of shifts back and forth in a way that I think things are when you're wrestling with something at night, where it's not really clear if the identity of the one he's wrestling with is an angel or if it's God himself, right? It's kind of wrestling with God. So I'm just raising the question. If God sends an angel to wrestle with you or God is wrestling with you, do you think the point is trying to beat you into submission? Do you think the point is to win? Because my sense is that that doesn't last like a second. God can just think you into annihilation. Like, you, you, no, you're not, nobody's strong enough to wrestle with an angel. Like, that's not how it works. So what's going on in a text like that? You tell me what's going on when you wrestle with your kids. Are you trying to beat them? Is that the idea? <laughs> I'll show you who's boss. <laughs> Body slam, suplex, jump off the top rope. Right? No. Now, again, not like I'd know, but I, in all honesty, wrestle with my seven-pound dog. I do. It is a foregone conclusion who's going to win that wrestling match. If the, but it, but the, the, point is not to, the point is not to win. The point is to play, to tumble. You wrestle with your kids because you want to be close to them. Because it's a way of being close. Because you, you want to touch them and you want them to touch you. And there's a playfulness to it. I'm just saying, if you can come to recognize that and, and, and discern that in how God speaks. The playfulness. Not just tender, but playful. There's something about that for me that is just so beautiful. Anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Why am I even talking like that, by the way? (laughs) 
one more thing. Okay, one more thing. Just one more simple sentence. The voice of the Lord. And this for me is significant while also simple. The voice of the Lord is other. There's just an otherness to the voice of the Lord. And if that sounds a little bit ambiguous, it's because it is. Like it's, there's just an otherness to the voice of God. I don't know how to put my finger on it. So think about that when you're trying to discern the voice of God. It's often the voice you don't know how to put your finger on. But that, oh, that's different. That's not how anybody else talks. How often in my life that I, I have everything boiled down to it's either this or it's that. It is A or B. It's like going in the eye doctor. You know, they flip into one or two. One or two. Uh, two. Uh, I think it's one. Notice how when you try to, when we do bring our question to the Lord, he almost never talks like that. One or two. How often it is that Jesus turns the question on its, on its head. People ask Jesus a question. Very rarely does he ever actually answer the question. He responds. He answers in the sense that he responds, but he rejects the premise of the question. And oftentimes, instead of answering the question, replaces their question with a better question. Well, I'm going to ask you this. Oh, cool. Well, thank you so much for your questions. Thank you for submitting your feedback. Now let me give you a question. And then walk, drops the mic, walks away. I love to wrestle. That is, that's how God talks. Often responds to our, is it like this or like that? And God answers us with a better question. But it's, what I think is important to get in this is that God does it, part of the otherness of God's voice, God just doesn't take, God doesn't take your side, which is really disappointing to me because all of us have confirmation bias. I come to the Lord wanting him to validate the way I see the world already. Don't you? Don't you want God to just say, yes, son, that's so right. You, you are right about him. You were right about her all along. You're so smart. Good job. Do you want to hear? Almost never what God does. Obscure text from Joshua that I adore. Can we go there for a moment? Last thing. Joshua 5.13. Once when Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, are you one of us or one of our adversaries? I love this. He replied, neither. Are you with us or with them? Neither. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I mean, what do you do with that, right? No, no, but you don't understand. We've got two sides. Surely you're on my side or the No, not necessarily. But surely you think it's this or that. But it's, but God, it's conservative or liberal, if, if you say so. You, you hear that? There's an otherness to the voice of God. And actually, I, th- I think... One of the areas this is crucial for me, because I do think so often where we need God's discernment, we need God's voice, is how we navigate relationships. And I've just found, again, once I've made up my mind about somebody, what I think about them, or their perspective, or their worldview, and I come in looking for God to validate that, he almost never does. God, God is for us, like Paul says. God is for us, not against us. He is not for us. He is not for me over and against someone else. That's just not how it works. So I'm just saying, be suspicious of the voice in your head that says, you're right, son, you're so wise. Why didn't I think of that? Probably not the voice of the Lord. But a lot of people think that, don't they? 
They think that's exactly what God said. That, 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 that sort of like certainty that your own perspective is right over and against some, what else, someone else says. Funniest illustration of that, right? And I really am landing the plane. Uh, my background is Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. My grandfather was a Church of God minister. My dad is a Church of God minister. And Church of God, kind of rural Pentecostal church, so started in the mountains of North Carolina and Tennessee. People were speaking in tongues, signs, wonders, etc. So they had a problem the first few years when they would have the General Assembly where the ministers would come in to deliberate matters of polity, you know, like the positions on things and all that, because people would give tongues and interpretations in their speeches for and against things. Well, that kind of cinches the argument, doesn't it? Somebody gives a tongue. Yay, yay, I say unto thee. And the Lord begins to say what you're supposed to do. Someone else gets up on the other side of the room, gives a tongue, interprets that. Yea, I say unto thee, I, the Lord your God, say that that brother was wrong. He does not speak for me. Here's what I'm really saying. They finally had to come up with a rule that you could not have tongues and interpretations in the business sessions. <laughs> Hashtag Pentecostal problems. <laughs> right? <laughs> and as funny as that sounds... I think there's a real kind of wisdom to that. Is that when you're, when you're trying to decide some kind of an issue, like in some kind of a conflict, it's really not fair to like go to the tongue and interpret. Oh, that's what you think? Well, let me tell you what God thinks. Bam, end of story. That, that's just not how it works. So I'm just saying, be suspect of the voice in your brain, or even for people around you who always just kind of validate your side, because I think there's something that God wants to do that is always to speak from a perspective that is entirely other. It's different. It's from a higher perspective. It's not something you'd think of. It's not something you'd think of. That's how I often can recognize the voice of God apart from the other voices. It's kind of like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of something like that. To think that I'm smart and you're stupid, I would think something like that. To think that I'm right, oh, I think that all the time. But when that voice comes along, it's kind of like, then your eyes wide, oh, ooh, I've never thought about it that way before. Inevitably, once again, there's a tenderness to it, though. So you're humbled, and like, oh, I feel really small right now. I wasn't nearly as smart as I thought. And yet there's something so tender and so beautiful and so inviting about it. The voice of the Lord is tender. The voice of the Lord is playful. The voice of the, uh, the, voice of the Lord is altogether other. Let me pray for you for just a moment. Lord, we pause now and we breathe deep. And I present to you your sons and daughters who so often feel like they're held hostage by the tyranny of thousands of voices. Voices in social media, voices inside their own head and heart, voices from parents, some of whom are deceased but who loom large, all kinds of voices. It's so, so difficult to hear your voice, Lord, apart from all the noise, especially when you're the one who speaks with a still small voice and the other voices that are around us are so noisy they compete for our attention. So I just pray now that you would quiet our hearts. And I pray, God, not just for this consecrated space in worship, but far beyond this moment, that you would teach us 
how to get down to this still, quiet place where we're able to listen to you. And even though our understanding is so limited, even though um, we're just so dumb in how we think about things, God, you do teach us. And we start to pick out words here and there. And even when we can't intellectually grasp exactly what it is that you're saying, we learn the tone of your voice. We learn the sound of your voice. Jesus, you said your sheep would hear your voice. Teach us how to hear you. Teach us how to listen. Teach us how to listen to you. Teach us how to detect your voice apart from all the others. Hey, I just want to encourage you while you're in this moment of prayer, just keep eyes closed for just a moment, just, to, just for just a second or two more, just to give God a little bit of space. Where even now, where in the last week, where in the last few days have you sensed something of the tenderness of God? Where maybe right now can you discern the playfulness of God? Something other that God's trying to say comes from outside of you, not from within you. What, what, is, what are the things that maybe God's been speaking all along, but you just haven't gotten quiet and still long enough to be able to discern it? Lord, we just ask you now to speak for your servants are listening. Speak to us, Lord. Teach us how to hear you better. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.